This is Mike Quinlan, and you are listening to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. There is one constant in business, and that is that every one of us will eventually exit, and sometimes sooner than we think. In this podcast, we discuss topics to help you with elite preparation, so when you're ready for transition, you won't just exit, you will join that exclusive group of owners who have accomplished an elite exit. We talk with former owners, exit advisors, and a host of other experts to help you increase the value of your exit, execute it on your terms, and most importantly, do it without regret. So let's join the show. My guest today is Dee Fisher, the CEO of Fisher's Professional Group. Dee has decades of experience growing DSOs, helping doctors create systems, accountability, and passion in the workplace. She's been an integral part of several DSOs exponential growth, guiding the operations and HR management to scale to larger organizations. Fisher's professional group helped doctors with scheduling systems and culture, always important. They will also even help you design your office to fit your practice needs. As a matter of fact, the project for Grins and Giggles won the 2015 Eagle Award for Construction. Dee, I didn't even know you did that. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I, I hope that you enjoyed my introduction of you because you certainly deserve all of that good stuff. So how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for that introduction. I appreciate it. But, you know, I think, you know, as, as I hear you talking about all those accomplishments in my career, I think, you know, I just hear... I hear the fun in it. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of fun through those years. Well, I, I know you're passionate about this and I know you speak often. I, the women in dentistry event, the DEO fall 2019 summit, the Dykema 2022, and then where we met, which was at the Tusk event, uh, just at this last Dykema event. Yeah, it was, it was a blast. I mean, I think that uh, the one thing coming away from Dykema that I really learned is that, you know, everybody leaves industries in a great place, uh, you know, and, 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 and just the positivity at that meeting. Um, it was, it was really, really nice to see because, you know, we hear so many negative things. Um, and, and what I, what I saw there was a lot of positivity and uh, it was really nice to be in a room with people that felt that about our industry. Yeah, well, I tell you what, it was really fun too, because as I got to sit there and sit with some of the owners and doctors on the break and talk to them, they asked me, well, what do you do? I told them, I said, well, we work with owners and we try to help them create an elite exit. And they asked me what that was. And I said, well, the elite exit is made up of three things. The first is maximizing your transaction value. Secondly, doing it on your terms. And we're talking about deal terms there. And third, doing all of that without regretting the fact that you did it. I know that you've been working in this industry for a long time and especially been helping maybe with that, that first part by maximizing transaction value, helping people with operations and growth. And we work mostly with late stage transition companies. So companies that maybe are three to four years away from actually affecting their transaction. As a matter of fact, I was teaching an academy uh, course today and one of the students came up to me and he said, hey Mike, listen, I'm, I'm three years out, but I'm so thankful that I'm doing this with you because, you know, I could get an unsolicited offer in, 
in two weeks. And had I not prepared my company for that, I wouldn't know what to do. And the first thing he's going to say is, I'm not going to do anything with an unsolicited offer. I'm going to take it to market, generate some uh, competition, and really maximize my value. D, listen, you are an insider. You are an insider in this industry. And what I'd love to know is, what are your general thoughts on the dental industry today? For me, I think it's a great time. I, I see where, you know, people are saying the word recession, and I see redirect. And I love when there's a redirect in our profession or our industry. And by that, I mean, there's still going to be plenty of buyers. Um, and, and this has got people thinking about their exit. This is getting people thinking about, well, if I'm going to make that move in two to three years, whether I go from one offices to three or three to 50 or make my exit, everybody's starting to think. And I love that. It's really generated the thought process. Example, I'm in an office the other day and you know, a gentleman has six offices and he's like, you know, should I, should I sell? Should I, what should I do? I said, let's just sit down and put a plan together um, because there'll always be buyers. We know there'll always be buyers, but what are they actually buying? You know, what is the product that you're putting out there? And I took him to the exercise of showing him, him efficiencies. And I said, if you have great efficiencies, our industry is going to stay right where it needs to stay when you go to exit and buy. So for me, I see a lot of thought process going on. Um, and I see people starting to really think about their businesses. So that makes me excited. It makes me like, you know, if you're going to pay attention, now's a really good time to pay attention. And that's what I see in the industry. Yeah, that's really cool. And, you know, I think it, what's interesting, too, is that it's not like it was, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, the people that are working in this industry now are are thinking like business owners. They're, they are they have great businesses. They're running them as business owners. They're interested in uh, in being in excelling at running their business in you know in conjunction with patient care and delivering the best care that they can to their patients. So I thought it was uh, really interesting at the conference to talk to all these doctors and. And, uh, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I would have used the terminology, talk to all of these dentists, but, but these are dental business owners is what they are. Sure. And, and, and a lot of the team members coming in are business educated now, you know, they understand business. And it's so funny when I, I, I did an interview about three or four days ago and the doctor sent my interview and he said, I was shocked at your first question. And I said, why? And my first question was, you know, to this, the person I was interviewing, are you prepared to be a CEO of a million dollar company? Because that's what we're running, Mike. We're running, a, you know, we're running as we're running a business and, you know, we're hoping they're going to be a million dollar business plus. Right. But I asked that on an interview question and the doctor said, I would have never asked that. I said, but that might be really a key question you want to know because if they understand that that's a growth process that you're going to go through, you really might be right. You might be hiring the right person, right? Yeah. Because if they tell you, no, I came here to, 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 to run a front desk. <laughs> might not be the right hire. Might be. But, you know, I always go to what's going to make me the best of the best. And I'm always in that growth mindset with, with my doctors and my clients. So I think it's, it's, it's something that you hit on. What is? We really understand business now, and it's, and it's a healthcare business, how I see it. Yeah, and you know, when I talk to people about hiring, I always talk to them about, you know, people have a job or they have a career. 
And you really want to have those people that are interested in growth and not just the, their personal growth, but growth of the business that they're in itself. You know, as an old Navy guy, I always talk about mission, right? It's about mission. What is the mission of the business and how can we all contribute to doing it? So it sounds like you, uh, you found a, a gem there if, if they answered the right way. I'm hoping they say they want to be $2 million business. Yeah, there you really. go. Absolutely. <laughs> well, so when you are talking to the largest DSO companies out there, what is it that they're really looking for in these uh, these smaller companies that, that they may partner with or they may acquire? So, you know, they look for a strategic buy or a financial buy. And I see more now they're looking to bring on companies that really, or practices that really have efficiencies in place. You know, they really look for, you know, I want to be able to grow this, but I also want to have efficiencies. I don't want to have to plug in 10 or 15 or 20 people to go make it efficient to get to where I need to be. I guess the word is they're looking for ease. You know, one of the things that I also see in the industry, you know, we are really prioritize what's going on. What's our priority in this buy and why we're buying it? So I look at what is the ease of the buy with them and what's the importance of what has to be done quickly to get the growth factor in. But I think the mindset, you know, the mindset is really switched a lot of, you know, I want I want the ease in the buy, I want the growth in the buy, um, but I I don't want to struggle for two years trying to really turn this around. If you go back, you know, ten years ago. I remember all of us thought the greatest buy was the most distressed practice in the country, but I think we learned it's not as easy as we thought to turn that around. So I think the minds, the mindset, you know, with what we're actually buying has changed a little bit. Yeah. And you have direct experience with that because you, you ran a very successful DSO. You know, we had a great run when I worked with my DSO. Um, even when I'm executive coaching from the DSOs, we had a great run. But we did we realized how we were buying was so important. You know, when we first started, I'm telling you, we didn't know what we were doing. I'm quite straight honest. You know, well, we'll we'll buy this. Well, that looks good. But really learning that due diligence process, for instance. If I'm going to do due diligence with a practice, people want financials, we want all this data, right? Well, I want to go in. And what I'm going in is I'm looking at schedules and I'm picking a certain month and say I go 18 months out, then I'm going a year out, then I'm going six months out. And I want to see if I see consistency of names in that hygiene schedule. Are they returning? Are they coming? Do we have retention? I look at really different things when I do a due diligence um, and, and it's really tells you a lot, uh, because if you, you know, I always tell people all the time, well, if you have a hundred new patients a month, right. And if you're not building your hygiene program and bring in a hygienist, you really are not retaining. Right. right. So I look at that. So I go, and people are like, why are you looking at the schedule? I'm like, the schedule can tell a lot of things. So it's just kind of a trick that I use to look at, but it tells us a lot. I bet. Yeah, it's really cool. As a matter of fact, uh, today when I was doing the discussion with the uh, business owners that we had in the office today, we were talking about the difference between the due diligence mindset between a financial buyer, typically a private equity group, and a strategic buyer, right? And those mindsets, as they're looking at the business, are similar to what you're describing right now right? That strategic buyer is all about integration, 
right? Operational leverage. How do I take this business and make it accretive to the other businesses that I have versus a private equity bar? And the private equity bar is dissecting those financial statements, right? Exactly. Yeah, and, and what I see is, you know, for me, both buys are fine. You either buy whatever you, you know, which one you, whatever mindset you're using to buy it. But I think the key, which really ties the both of them together, is, you know, am I buying efficiencies and effectiveness? Either if you're it's strategic or financial, because either one's going to cost you dollars to do the correction. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we look at how do you maximize transaction value, right? And if you look at the the group of value drivers that re are represented by the I'm Good checklist, the I is increasing cash flow and a documented plan to continue to increase cash flow, right? It just doesn't happen by accident. <laughs> so uh, the M is institutionalized transferable management. And in this industry, we're not just talking about management, but we're also talking about key staff. So transferable management and staff. The G is for top line growth, you know, sales growth, right? How are you going to grow your, your practice or your business? And have you actually written it down, right? So that you can execute it and hold yourself accountable for it, but also so that you can show it to potential buyers. You may not have as an owner the human capital or financial capital to execute your growth plan. But the people that buy you, I rest assured they have both of those and can do it. And it creates a great vision for them. And it makes them understand that you really know how to run your business. It makes them feel good about that. The first O is optimized financial statements. I know you look at a lot of those and optimizing financial processes. The second O is about where you live, it's operations and documenting operations, optimizing operations, and how much um, you can affect the EBITDA margin of your business by really being good there. And then the last, uh, the last letter is D, which is diverse customer base. Diverse customer base in this case may be the diversification of the payees and also of your vendor relationships, right? Key vendor relationships. As you look at the businesses that you work with, you know, all of those things I just described, there's metrics around those. What types, first of all, are the, are the businesses doing a good job at tracking metrics? And then if, if they are, that's great. If not, what rec, what do you recommend as key metrics for them to track? So for me, I think all those providers have been to many conferences and we work at, you know, we're going to look at the major KPIs, which is your staff costs, your supply costs, all those things where I come in and I say, okay, that's really great. But are you looking at the micro KPIs? So let's just take AR, revenue cycle management, for instance. And I say, you know, we have buckets in that and we're looking at that KPI. And if we're at a certain percentage, we're feeling good, but maybe not really. Um, you really have to take those buckets and you have to say, okay, let me look at my 90-day AR and break it down. What is that really made up of? And for instance, I went in an office the other day. It was just like the light bulb went off and I'm looking at the 90-day AR and, and the gentleman saying, I don't know why I'm not hitting my micro KPI at this collection rate. I said, are you breaking it down by provider? Well, I've never done that. 
I said, well, let's break it down by provider. And sure enough, we did. And there was a doctor that had so much outstanding. And they're like, I don't understand it. Well, we go to find out after making three phone calls, the doctor was never credentialed with the insurance company and all the checks have gone to the patients. Now, meanwhile, on the big end, it really looked good because the, the doctor did some large cases that month, right? So our collection looked like we were 98% on target, but our micro KPIs told us, no, 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 you're behind big time here. So that's where I work with, let's look at the micro KPIs. Let's look at, you know, are you at second phase dentistry? You know, what, what does that retention look like? Because we all, we all do marketing and we can retain new patients to come in the door for the first time. But what does the touch points and those micro KPIs look on the second and the third and the fourth visit? So I'm a big believer, you know, dig down into those micro KPIs and really look at them. And a lot of times they said, well, we never really knew about micro KPIs. And I'm like, that tells you the story of your practice. It really does. Um, you know, so I think, you know, even on staff cuts, that's a big issue today, right? Staff, we're hearing staff all across the country, Mike. And I went in another office and I said, let's dig down into the staff cost. And they found out they were really too top heavy, really too top heavy. You know, their, their staff cost is at 32%, but 18% of it was being eaten up at the, at the top level. And we were overstepping things that, you know, we didn't really need to overstep. Um, and just, it, it was a lot of, it was a lot of redirecting of great talent, but if they didn't look at the micro KPI from the staff salaries, it just would have been, okay, our bucket's too full. Now, when you talk to a doctor about that, how do they normally react and, and how do they implement the advice that you're giving them? This is their first reaction. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> Call Susie, get Susie in here. Right, <laughs> That's right. the first reaction. And my reaction is no, I want you to take two hours. I want you to be dedicated. I want you to have clarity, consistency and commitment, the three C's. And you're gonna sit down and we're gonna learn this because this is a life lesson for you to run your business. And I'll sit with them and I'll take them through. I want you to understand this. But while we're doing that, we're co-coaching someone on their team that will really follow it for them every day. Cause you know, if they're still at the, the chair they're providing, you know, or if they're out looking acquisitions, it's not gonna be on the forefront, but we can at least deliver a report to them that now they really understand. Many of these, of these business owners, they're doctors, right? They're clinicians, they're working in a business that they kind of dreamed about. And sometimes all of a sudden accidentally became big business owners. And so how do, how do they do with that? And how do they do with some of those difficult decisions that have to be made once those micro KPIs tell them that, hey, maybe we've got too much staff or maybe we've got the wrong mix of staff? You know, most of them are receptive. You know, you have to sometimes walk down that road and, and you have to take them, you know, through what could have happened or what might make you more efficient and what's going to make you better if you want to exit and do a transition. So for instance, you know, we look at a micro KPI and we said, you know, we diagnosed a thousand crowns this year, but we only performed 600. And my first thing really gets their attention. So doc, if we had 400 crowns that we did not do, and we only did 50% of them, and that's 200 at a thousand dollars, 
how much income is that? And all of a sudden the light bulbs go off. I've decided if you could tie a clinical procedure to a financial conversation, it usually goes very well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it just makes it a lot easier. And they, you know, one thing I learned about clinicians and providers, even though they're business, you know, if you still throw that clinical, you know, little niche in there, they're going to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, I, I ran my, my group through an exercise today and we were talking about all of these concepts around around deal values and risk and elements that people analyze as they evaluate your business. And at the end of it, I said, okay, now we're gonna we're gonna drop all this information into this very, very simple three variable model. And so you can see the impact that it has on your actual price that it, that somebody is willing to pay for you. And it was like, you know, the heavens opened up and shined down upon everybody in the room. They're like, okay, we get it now. We get it. So that sounds like what you're doing too. Exactly. And, you know, as, as far as the staffing, you know, I've been able really to talk to a lot of the doctors because staffing is a big issue right now, the cost of staffing and what's happening. But I said, you know, why don't we redirect here? Why don't we look at this? Why don't we look at all the undiagnosed treatment that's sitting on the books and if we were to convert that, would we really be so overstaffed? And what would the staffing costs look like? And yes, we have to make some you know, minor adjustments, but let's really focus on the KPI that's going to take us to, to cover that cost. And um, you know, just put a program in where they're really focusing on you know, case conversion and, and making those things happen. Because I'll be honest, Mike, things were so good. Some of us got lazy. Yeah. You know, you know me, I have to be radical candor and, uh, you know, it's all feeling good. We're doing good. We were churning and all of a sudden now, wait a second, we really got to focus. But, you know, did we really get a little bit lazy and, and can we really make the correction without cutting people or, you know, or just retrain them to do something better? Um, and I always look at let's train to do something better. Listen, I, so two things that I want to talk with you about. One is as businesses do well in made in the mid-stage growth area of their of their life cycle they can get complacent with complacency comes the fat right i mean it comes that that pnl gets bloated and margins compress and you're like gosh you know what it's all okay because we're just all having a great time but then as you start getting towards that period of time where you're thinking about, man, I need to start thinking about transitioning my company, but now I've got to look at my financial statements and how did we get here? Right. And how do we, how do we optimize these financial statements now? So, um, I, I don't, I think that that's common actually, because people lose sight of that. And the second thing I would say is, you know, you're talking about that micro metrics, and all kinds of things that, that sometimes are a little bit of a poke in the eye for the business owner. But the other thing that I think that you do so well, and as a focus, it's main part of what you do is the culture of the business. So mixing these, these very financial type terms along with cultivating culture, talk to me a little bit about that. So I think when you go in and, you know, I find this, I find it really easy to engage staff because I'm going to go in and we're going to look at their financials and we're going to do our due diligence. But the approach has to be, you did something great. You got here. You have two, three, one offices, whatever it may be. You opened a door. You did great. You're sustaining. Let's make what you did even greater. 
Let's look at that. Let's look at your competencies. Let's look at your effectiveness and just build that culture on we're going to get greater every day. And I think the way to start that is we actually give them a treatment plan and say, okay, we're going to start with schedule management or financial management. You know, you have been doing it so great. We're doing, we're doing really well. Well, let's take it to the next level and just give them a couple of focal points. And I think some of the times if you can, you know, if you could get someone to master something and they're feeling really good about it, the culture is great. Instead of saying, beating someone on the head every day and saying, you know, this is what we need. I come from a different approach, you know, you're doing something, so you do something great, but there's always a way to improve. We all have mentors. We all have coaches, right? We have to. Um, and, and use that approach, and, and the culture starts to drive the business to people want to do better. I don't know anybody that wants to be a loser. I really don't. I haven't met them yet. Um, well, really. certainly not with those interview questions you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, but, you know, I, I think you go down that road of, you know, like I said, come from the positive place with them. Mm -hmm. um, and if you have positive culture, it builds positive teams and it builds positive effectiveness in the practice. Now, in some of these practices that you go into, you may see uh, cultures that are not the best. And what do you think causes that? And then how do you turn that around? Well, I was just at one yesterday, uh, to be quite honest. And it's a disconnect between the executive leadership being down to the practice level. So I'll give you, for instance, I was in an office the other day and they said they bought this great machine. Well, the doctor was thought that it was the greatest machine. He went to a conference. He comes back. It's delivered to the practice. People are like, what is this? How are we going to do this? All of a sudden, everybody's in a frantic and, and they're like, we don't want this. We don't need this. You know, it's going to make our lives really hectic. And I turned to the doctor very nicely. said, let's stop. Why don't we do a two hour or one hour training session on what this is going to give them the why. What is this going to accomplish? What is this going to do? Let's put the dots together. And what I see a lot of times is from the leadership teams to the practice level, those dots are not connected. And it's one of the things that I'm really working on this year with all the practices, everyone I touch, make sure you're connecting the dots um, because retentions become a problem around the United States, right? But if you connect those dots and people understand why we're doing something and the outcome, it makes it a whole lot smoother. But how many times have you gone to a conference? Me, I, I, I'll be the first to say, oh, this looks like a really nice notebook. Well, everybody's looking at it like, really? <laughs> 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 you know, the, the explanation has to come. In our growth section that we teach, we, we talk about growth strategy. And that growth strategy really is a component of the business strategy itself. One of the key things that we talk about and we empower the management team, not just the owner, to be involved in creation of this one-page strategy document, which is really easy for everybody to digest and also hold themselves accountable for. And by virtue of doing something like that, you're connecting the dots all the way to the lowest level because you build that one-pager, you empower your managers and your senior staff your senior staff is now communicating that information down to the lowest levels in the business and you know it's kind of like the old uh john f kennedy um example where when he went to nasa he had talked to nasa he said hey listen this is you've got this great mission statement it's wonderful but it's two pages long i'm going to give you a new mission I want you to put a man on the moon before the end of the decade. 
And NASA took it to heart, right? So he came back like three months later. And as he walked in, uh, there was a janitor that was mopping the floor. It's this kind of famous story. And he said to the janitor, he said, hey, listen, what do you do here? And the janitor turned around to President Kennedy and said, sir, I'm putting a man on the moon. What a better example can you get of being able to, to connect the dots, right? Exactly. And, you know, I'm a big believer that everybody has a playbook from the janitor up and they have a page in the playbook. And, you know, it, it's strategy related, it's growth related, but we all know that this is my playbook. This is what I'm working on, but it complements the next playbook in the practice. And then it complements the executive team. So I believe, you know, if you're complementing each other all the way through this process, your growth is going to be so much greater. And everybody has to have a page in that playbook. Absolutely. Agree 100%. So where do you see the greatest opportunities for these for these group practices uh, for efficient and impactful growth over, say, a 36-month run-up period to transaction? So what I'm looking, when I'm looking at the P&Ls, the, the, the thing that jumps out the most every single time is the schedule management mechanism in the practices um, and the collection management in the practices. And by that, I mean, you know, we're going in and you're looking at, you know, actually the providers, we're looking at them and saying, okay, what does this really look like? And a lot of times they feel that a schedule is very busy, but it's not efficient. So, you know, one of the one of the examples I give someone is let's let's say you have six offices, right? And let's say we have four providers in each office. And it, if we could add one crown a day at a thousand dollars for each one, what is that going to look like? It's going what the, you're paying for your overhead, you're paying for your assistant. It's going to hit the EBITDA. So, what does that look like? And are we collecting that efficiently? You know, if you're you're working with insurances. Are you getting 76 cents on the dollar? Are you collecting 80 cents on the dollar? So I look at those areas really strong because we can make an impact pretty quickly by digesting that. And a lot of times, you know, I, I, it, it's really almost humorous to me sometimes because some of the doctors, they really know they can be more efficient and they're like, you're really not telling me anything. I didn't know. I just don't know how to do it. Right. You know, how do, how do I take the team there? Um, so to me, I, I look at that and then, uh, quite honestly, you know, the other thing I'm looking at is their supplies list, you know, from office supplies to, you know, are they on a great formulary? You know, have they really negotiated? There's a lot of room in those areas that we don't really pay attention to every day. Um, so right there, I mean, if you're able to bring, you know, 10 cents on the dollar more down to the EBITDA by those corrections, when you're going for sale, it, what, it's 10 times 10 times 10, right? It's, right. It's, it's It really rolls down. So. Yeah. Um, but that's where I look a lot of, a lot of times and you can make a big impact with that. Yeah. And that's just one of those areas that we talked about earlier, right. In that mid-stage growth area where you get cost creep, you know, you, you stay with the same suppliers, you stay with the same vendors, your, uh, your line of credit, maybe costs have gone up and you haven't shopped that around. So there's a lot of different things out there that you can do to become more efficient. You just got to have the time and the, the willingness to go, go after it. And well, that's one thing that the pandemic did for us, correct? Like if you look at the hygiene, like we all got a big kick in the butt, right? Like, you know, we were we doing our hygiene. Now, all of a sudden, we're talking about accelerated assisted hygiene. It made us change direction. And now I have people coming to me saying, this is more productive, it's more profitable, and it's okay. But like I said, it really made us look at that, Yeah. right? 
So, so those are key things, Mike, when you're going in and you're looking at practices and you're saying, okay, I'm at 10, I'm at 20, you know, I want someone to come look at me and buy me, you know, you could say, can we go to that model in the next two to three years and really bring up the profitability don't affect the patient quality. Right. And that's like a, that's like a win-win for everybody. So tell me a little bit about how you, how you do it. What does it look like when you get engaged to come in and work with somebody? So the first thing I do is, you know, if we get engaged, we'll do an evaluation process. And my evaluation process is very different. It's going in day one. Can we engage with the team and another coachable? Um, Once we start with that process and we feel, yes, that's where it's going to be. We start to write the playbooks um, and we take what they have and we make it greater. So we go through that process and we go through every KPI that's really important that we want to hit. We give the doctor a year treatment plan, which is a year. Um, and it could be anywhere from working on competence in the new patient exam. It could be, you know, your financials, whatever it may be, but it's very customized. <clears throat> the one thing that I always tell people all the time, I don't know what to call myself because I don't go in with a workbook. I don't go in with, this is just what we're going to do. <clears throat> I have to develop it. And so that's what we do. We develop your growth plan. Uh, we develop your team's growth plan. But most important, we develop you getting ready to go for sale or exit if that's what you really want to do. And I think, you know, it's 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 a process that takes time. Uh, but the, the biggest thing for me is that I think that what makes us so unique is that customization going in and saying, OK, you know, I'm a big believer. You know, do you have the right financial advisor? You know, are you working with the right type of accountants? Are you working with the right legal? You know, are you really set up to go for sale? Um, and a lot of times we, they don't even know that we're not set up to go for sale properly. So really customizing um, workflows, customizing the doctor's mindset and the team's mindset. So a uh, very different approach, I would say. I've been told I'm about the only one in the industry that does it like this. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, seems to work. But that's ex- exactly what we do. We're giving you a treatment plan for success, for growth and for sale. And I think that, you know, between what you do and what we do, we have a very comprehensive way of being able to take an owner that really doesn't understand all the options yet, right? Giving them clarity around what it can look like and then providing a roadmap to achieve that elite exit trying to get them to maximize transaction value, not leave money on the table because they didn't work on a specific area of the I'm good checklist, getting them put in a better position so that the terms of their transition, whether it's a third party sale or a sale to, you know, insiders, they mitigate risk and create the best opportunity for themselves in terms uh, with the terms of the deal. And then the last piece of it again is always is not regretting the fact that they did it, which unfortunately um, the majority of people that sell their business within one year at the, you know, it's 75% is the, is the figure are not happy with the fact that they sold their business. And you know what I find with that, Mike, it's really interesting when you have the conversation with that person, they're not happy. Th- there's a blame game going on. I'm blaming who bought me. No. And I will have an honest conversation with them. If you were to prepare correct, correctly, you know, for that exit, you'd be a lot happier. And I think 
you know, we as business owners have to own that sometimes. We have to say, you know, maybe we didn't prepare correctly to go into this. And for me, you know, the tie for me is really having someone that's in on that financial side and that wealth side and that business side, you know, holding hands with me through this process. And and that's why I say it's custom for what we do, because I'm going to come in and I'm going to work with someone like you, for instance, you're going to tell me, D, this is where we're lacking on the P&Ls. And, and sometimes to make that transition to even look better on the PL, P&L is not the process, it's the person that's working the process, right? Or it's the process and the person that's working it, the process isn't is not really working well. So looking at all, all of that, and I think the biggest accomplishment for anything is when I have someone that walks up to me and says, you know what, we had a great run. I'm so happy I sold. I'm going to Mexico for five days. See you later. It's been a great conference. <laughs> That's right. That is a, absolutely right. As a matter of fact, when we're when we when we uh, take people through the five phase process, and at the end, when the when the closing table happens, we tell them that you, you're not allowed to stay around. You got to go on vacation somewhere because you're going to be stressed out. You know, you're going to be tired of of having to deal with the even with elite preparation the process of selling your company is just, it'll wear you out. And uh, it's very emotional. I spoke with, uh, I did a podcast two days ago with one of the owners that I worked with and he, uh, we helped him close in March. And he, I said, okay, you went through this thing, you had an elite exit and what would you have done differently? And he said, Mike, there's two things I would have done differently. One, I would have started the process a lot earlier and gone through the preparation with more discipline. The second thing is I would have believed you about how hard it is to do this because I never thought it was going to be as difficult emotionally and with the stress I was under uh, to sell my business. Yeah, I agree. I think the emotional yeah, the emotional attachment we all have to our practices is very significant. And I always tell the story, you know, I was working with someone and we were, we were about two years in to go to sale and they were feeling really good. We had really done our due diligence and I said, you're ready to go. And I remember at the sale at the table, his spouse, who was wonderful, she decorated all the offices and she, her question was, you're not going to change the decorations, are you? <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, honey, we need to just get to check. That's right. That's right. We, but, we've got a handful of good reasons that they can do anything they want. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it was just, I, I looked at her and I said, it's, it's going to be okay. Yep. And I see her like six months later and, and, and she says, oh, I don't really care about the wallpaper anymore. She's still having a blast. <laughs> like, good. Well, Dee, this has just been a huge pleasure. I, I appreciate every time I get to talk to you, you teach me something and it's just awesome to, to spend time with you. So um, thank you very much for that. And I am going to put Dee's contact information in the show notes. Dee, is there anything, any oh, by the ways or final thoughts that you'd like to, to send out to, the, to all the listeners that are going to hear this? What I tell them is, you know, just reach out. Even if you have a question, I'm the type of person, I'll answer your question. Um, you know, some people call me, you know, off the cuff. I'm okay with that. We have a team that loves to help you. And it doesn't mean that we're going to go in your practice to do anything. But my biggest thing is if you have my information, you want to send me a question, send it to me. 
yeah. send it to me because I want everyone to do well in this business. And, you know, just remember, this is an exciting time for us. We're in a redirect and uh, thank you for having me on. But I see a lot of excitement in our industry, Mike. So I'm looking forward to all of this. You and I are just doing audio right now, but I got to tell you, I've been smiling the whole time and so have you. And so it's been fun to do this. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. You got it. Thank you very much. And everybody out there, listen, this has been the Business Owner Transition Podcast. You can go to the ownericademy.com. That's the ownericademy.com. That'll be in the show notes. You'll be able to find out more about what we do and how we work with our owners and educate them and do consulting with them. And uh, I hope that at some point you will attend one of our educational seminars. We are going to be doing a series of dental business owner seminars over the next year. The first one of those is going to be on November 18th. And it is called the Elite Dental Exit Seminar Series. And Dee is going to be part of that with us. So we can't wait to hear what she has to say during the operations and growth segment of the seminar. So again, thank you very much. I look forward to the next time we talk and we'll see you soon.